Welcome to the New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone, and I chat with founders, investors, and other key players in the startup ecosystem. You can find us at thenewyorkstartup.com or on Twitter at VNY Startup. Super excited about today's guest, Jessica Lee, an absolute rock star in her early 20s. Jessica is the second growth marketing hire at Series C General Catalyst-backed Zagino, the B2B procurement marketplace for the life sciences. She also heads content for Alpha, Harvard and & Tech, and Techstars Boston. She previously worked in venture capital at Soma Capital, General Catalyst, Romulus Capital, Global Founders Capital, and Female Founders Fund. In growth and operations at Morning Brew, acquired by Business Insider, and Lux, Google Ventures backed and acquired by Volvo, in investment banking at Morgan Stanley, and in public markets at Northwestern Mutual and a family office. She graduated from Harvard with high honors in applied math, computer science, and economics, where her thesis research was completed with 2016 Nobel laureate in economics, Oliver Hart. Jessica has worked with startups in Mass Challenge, Techstars, Alchemist, Envision, Zane, and other programs. Wow, Jessica, I know how ridiculously busy you are between all the many activities that you have on your plate. So thank you so much for making time to be here today. And it's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Jessica, if you don't mind, maybe just give us a little bit, you know, your background, your story. Who are you? Where are you from? Yeah, totally. Happy to. So I was born in the States. Um, my parents are both students and so was raised by my extended family, grandparents, aunts and uncles in different parts of China and then came to the U.S. later on in elementary school to New Jersey, which is where my parents had found jobs and housing and grew up there until college. Um, went to Harvard in the um, obviously Boston Cambridge ecosystem, studied applied math with a focus on computer science and economics um, and got pretty involved with the different things. First in startups, worked with Morning Brew in the media tech space. They were recently acquired by Business Insider, which is super exciting, and joined as one of their early growth team members launching their campus ambassador program. And then also worked in a more hands-on operations role at Lux, which is this or was this on-demand valley parking service that was later acquired by Volvo and so helped to launch their Boston group and manage employees on the ground and build partnerships with parking lots, um, things like that. And so that was super fun as well. Um, and then wanted to be able to see more companies and to spend some time in public markets working with Northwestern Mutual, the insurance company out in the Midwest, as well as the family office um, more locally here. And then also Harvardson Agency's endowment, um, but then wanted to be more hands-on with these companies, which obviously is impossible in the public markets. And so transitioned to investment banking, spent some time at Morgan Stanley's Tech Investment Banking Group out in the Bay Area, um, worked in a few different exciting deals and clean tech with Bloom Energy and traditional enterprise software with Domo and also in consumer electronics with Sonos, um, but then wanted to have more incentive alignment with the founders and the companies I was working with. I felt like investment banking as an industry was a little bit too deal oriented to transaction oriented. And so found my way to early stage venture, which I felt like was a really great blend of all of what I liked about prior roles, but not so much the downsides. And so spent some time with a few different early stage, primarily seed and series A funds, including General Catalyst and Romulus Capital, Global Founders Capital, which is the venture arm of Rocket Internet, the publicly traded German conglomerate company, and then also Female Founders Fund, um, which is based in the New York area, um, and then realized that I wanted to go into venture full-time um, after school, but then wanted to be able to still preserve and 
entrepreneurial element of my role. And so found my way to Soma Capital actually through a warm introduction from the Global Founders Capital folks who are really close and frequent co-investors with the team at Soma, um, and or just one person at the time, Anil, my boss, who's the founder and managing partner of Soma, as well as the co-owner of the Sacramento Kings and former co-owner of the Golden State Warriors. And so super interesting, fun model, kind of blending the traditional tech world with the sports media entertainment world. Um, and so joined them back in 2019 as their first full-time hire, did everything from sourcing and diligence with typical steps to building out the content and community efforts and also portfolio platform operations and even our investor relations arm fund fundraising from limited partners for our third fund. Um, and that was super fun to be able to work in VC and have all the benefits of VC, but then also be able to be an operator um, in many ways through working at a startup Ask VC fund. And so really enjoyed my time there. And then more recently, earlier this fall, left to join the Gino, um, which is where I am now. It's a growth stage Series C um, B2B procurement marketplace for the life sciences backed by General Catalyst. I actually heard about the company through the folks at GC, where I had previously spent some time scouting for them. Um, and so joined as their second growth marketing hire. Um, so doing kind of a combination of content marketing, product marketing, um, social media management, sales support, um, and partnership, which has been really creative, really cross functional, really fun and informative. And this whole time, um, both while at SOMA as well as now and even before SOMA, have been having content with Alpha, which is basically this community of a little over 36,000 women in tech. It's spun out of Y Combinator. Um, and so doing their interview series, as well as hosting their twice a week, Ask Me Anything Office Hours with really incredible women on the platform. Um, so that's been super fun. Just generally love all things content, both in my full-time job, as well as my work with Alpha and some more ad hoc content things that I do as well with Harvard in Tech, this alumni group, um, as well as Techstars Boston um, and previously the Emerging VC Association. Um, love helping startups. Um, I think now it's been a little bit easier to do so since I think startups and founders understandably feel a little bit stressed when they're talking to investors or potential investors, but now I'm able to take what I learned um, on the other side of the table, being an investor before and share those learnings with founders, but then also be able to help them more on their go-to-market and content and community building efforts um, while um, kind of also establishing a stronger level of trust and comfort. Um, and so love mentoring at different accelerators or at angel investing myself fairly recently as well. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow. I would tell you that my only regret right now is that these episodes are under 30 minutes. I'm not going to reveal your age, but you're definitely younger than I am and have definitely accomplished at least, you know, 15 to 20 times what I have. So very, very, amazing. You were mentioning that you, your childhood years, you grew up in China and then you moved to the States. I'm curious how you would say that impacted kind of your upbringing and maybe your aspirations? Yeah, that's a great question. So I came over when I was 10. So it's fairly late in my life. Both my parents, they came to the States, obviously much later on in their own lives. Um, and so they don't speak English super well, um, obviously have learned over time, but even their teams and their companies, my mom has left her job, but my dad still obviously works, but um, even the teams that they work with in their companies are very Mandarin speaking. And so they haven't always learned much English, and especially earlier on when I first joined them 
when they were first entering the workforce themselves. And so a big part of my role at a pretty young age, and also obviously still learning English myself at a sort of later time, but basically was sort of their translator in many ways. So even small things like at the supermarket and helping my mom ask the customer service people there, um, or even larger things like helping my dad file taxes and do more accounting things. And so that sort of daring nature of, you know, not even knowing English fully myself, but then being able to, or at least having to support my parents in their English speaking needs, which obviously is kind of everything um, when you live in the States. And so communicating less so from like an academic theoretical perspective and more from like a, not to be dramatic, but need to survive angle was really helpful for me. I think even in some of the content work that I do and the way in which I interact and collaborate and get to know people um, in sort of my own communication style. And so those two things really stood out to me. I think the final thing um, is just sort of seeing my parents' work ethic as well. I think my dad in particular has been such an incredible role model for me. He grew up homeless when he was in China and was super, super poor for most of his life, but then ended up going to high school and then college two years early and then getting two um, grad school degrees, PhDs, and just like six years because it was his only way to come to the U.S. and the only school that would sponsor him and had this sort of strange, interesting program. Um, and so just sort of seeing his work ethic and overcoming so many odds has been really inspiring for me as an incredible role model to have from the start. That's an amazing story. Wow. So you yeah. mentioned work ethic there, obviously huge and obviously a core value of yours. I mean, Jessica, your, your resume, as we've said, is ridiculous. I mean, if you scroll through your LinkedIn, I mean, it's pages and pages and pages. Can you please explain this? Yeah, well, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, I think a couple of different things. I think one is that I realized early on that I actually work better when I do multiple things at the same time, whether it's kind of multiple moving pieces within a broader organization or as has been the case um, in the majority of instances, multiple different groups and multiple different roles within those groups. Um, I don't know if it's sort of just being a little bit more diverse in my interests um, or just sort of my attention span for better or worse, but do kind of thrive more when I have that kind of ability to productively procrastinate, if you will. I think um, I just like everybody love to procrastinate, but less so in like a let me watch TV and more so in like, let me do a different project since I'm a little bit stuck or just sometimes have some tunnel vision with the particular project that I've been focused on for the past few days or weeks or a few hours even. And so sort of having the ability to productively procrastinate by turning my attention to a different um, project or a different group or a different task um, has been really helpful. So that's sort of one thing. I think a second thing is basically being able to find um, sort of non-intuitive or non-obvious connections between different experiences. So for example, have been part-time with Alpha um, really for the past couple of years, including my time in VC at SOMA. Um, and then obviously SOMA is a VC fund and it seems pretty different from Alpha, a community startup where I'm doing content. Um, but then I realized the interviews that are, I was doing with many different people obviously involved me asking hopefully insightful or increasingly insightful at least questions of them to be able to write um, great content pieces on their key takeaways. Um, and then I realized that Soma obviously not creating content so much, um, at least not from like the founder interaction perspective, but also going through that similar exercise of asking founders questions to be able to better understand them as well to arrive at some sort of meaningful deliverable, i.e. a decision on investment. And so realized I was able to draw different connections and learnings between these two different pursuits that I was doing simultaneously. I think the third point is just sort of around um, how 
having these atomic units of tasks. Um, I was just listening to a podcast about procrastination um, the other day or sort of how to overcome it. Um, but I think one thing that's been helpful for me and probably helpful for other people is to break down these larger tasks, even like seemingly manageable tasks, like creating a content calendar or reaching out to people um, or getting, you know, a number of interviews out by the end of the year um, into sort of smaller tasks of like, you know, this half hour, I'm just going to reach out to 10 people. That doesn't sound too crazy, especially if you already have the email templates and the email addresses looked up and written up. Um, and so basically having an atomic goal for every 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it is throughout the day has been really helpful. And I think the fourth thing is just basically the sort of touch at once um, mentality. I know it sounds kind of crazy or, um, you know, high level, but basically this idea that, you know, if you see an email, don't just sort of like go read it, then come back to it, then come back to it again, like two days from now, then unread it and then remind yourself and put in your to-do list. Just basically, if it's a small thing, obviously, if it's like a huge thing that you need to spend many days on writing up a, you know, super thoughtful response, super sticky situation, that's different. But most cases, hopefully, just basically do it the first free minute that you have after the request has been made. And so sort of this touch at once mentality of not like writing the, you know, Slack message I need to send down and then scheduling it and then doing it and then forgetting it hasn't really helpful to basically clear all of those smaller things um, away. Um, and finally, the fifth thing is basically developing this sort of system that I operate in that's been really productive and really conducive to being efficient and being organized. So things like, for example, every Tuesday and Thursday, we publish a content piece on Alpha. And so even just getting into the rhythm of like every Monday night and every Wednesday night, queuing that content piece up um, into Alpha, or even just having a really organized Asana board so that when I come Monday night, come Wednesday night, when I have to make those posts, it's really easy to find where the link to the Google Doc is, um, where the link to the person's photo is and their bio. And so basically, kind of setting yourself up for success where your future self will kind of thank you um, for lack of a better word. And so um, those are the five things that I'd say have been really helpful for me. Those are a, a lot of great nuggets of advice. I like the idea of procrastinating from one task into another. That's very cool. And the, the touch at once, <laughs> I am definitely very guilty of that. So you were touching a little bit there on some of the work that you've done actually in venture capital. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, you sort of, you know, quote unquote, broke into venture capital and then You've actually already also left venture capital, which we'll return to, but, you know, people are dying to break into VC. So how did you do that? Yeah, so there are a few different things. I think one thing is basically productizing VC. I think everybody's trying to do that these days, but I think to the extent that you can even create a product as yourself um, without being a part of a VC fund is super helpful to show VC funds your value add early on, as well as your scrappiness and hustle and work ethic and innovativeness, um, as well as your network, which is sort of all the key parts that make a good investor as every VC fund will probably agree on. Um, so basically what I did is I knew a bunch of founders just through being a part of different like Harvard Ventures or the Harvard Innovation Lab or, you know, local group that you can pretty easily integrate yourself into. Um, and so basically through that, you can meet different founders um, and start to just become friends with them um, as you would anybody else you're meeting, um, you know, in your particular community. Um, and then basically developing trust and being able to help these founders over time, whether it's connecting them with early career people or university students for hiring, giving feedback on their product 
when they're still pre-launch or in beta or even helping them with things like financial planning, since a lot of my own background had been in the investment banking, public markets, real estate, any number of those things. And then also, um, you know, writing up um, my own understandings of these founders and what they're doing and descriptions, as well as um, analyses um, of their particular markets and their particular solutions, and then putting that all into an Airtable uh, to create a sort of searchable database for VC funds to better source from these unique ecosystems that you have these unique connections in. So whatever community it is, basically get to know the founders or soon to be founders and be supportive of them, then write about them and then put it into a product, in this case, a database, a structure that's really easy for VC funds to use to access and understand and have a perspective through you into a unique ecosystem they perhaps haven't been able to tap into as much as you have. And so basically that's what I did and sent it around to different funds. Obviously there were lots of no responses or negative responses not negative, but just at least no, we're not right now. But then of course, over time, especially after being pretty persistent and checking in, um, I was able to get some yeses, which led to those opportunities. And I think once you get your first sort of break, um, everything else is really easier from there because you do have that kind of stamp of approval. And you also are sort of enrolled into this community of VCs, um, which is sort of a small world as people say. And so um, basically that was sort of the biggest thing, I think. The second thing I think is sort of related to that, but sort of a broader point of identifying your superpower. I think a lot of times people think about what is it that I have to do to get into VC, but VC is very different from say consulting or investment banking, where, you know, if you were asking me how to break into those fields, I would say, yes, there are literal things you need to memorize and do and check off the box. But with VC, because the VC feedback cycles are just so long, you know, in the early stage, it can be seven to 10 years. Um, consequently, so many very different people can all make really great VCs. My former boss at Soma Capital, Anil, he's a great VC. He's super extra the very network driven, very relationship oriented. I've also seen investors on the other end of the spectrum who are super introverted and um, really shy and just sort of stay at home and do deep analyses um, of particular spaces and are very thesis driven um, and they can also be very successful. And so basically it's less about, you know, checking off the box or sort of fitting a mold, but rather identifying your own particular superpowers. There's friends I know who have had um, a lot of experience in the political sphere working on different campaigns, which sounds very different from BC, but that's sort of their superpower, their connection to the public sector and the public world. And they've been able to enter BC and support companies from that angle. Some folks are very research oriented. They, you know, are scientists, PhDs, or, you know, would have been on that track and just like really think in that way. And they've been able to be incredible deep tech investors and evaluate a lot of these deep tech innovations much better than any sort of standard non sort of technical or non-research oriented VC. And so basically identifying your own superpower and really doubling down on that and presenting that when you're communicating with VCs and sharing your value proposition. And I'd say the third and final thing is basically making it as easy as possible for VCs to be able to vet you. So even offering up references in your email to pretty high profile people, especially when you're in school, um, you might have, you know, professors who are pretty high profile who might be able to speak on your behalf of you and also even offering up ways to help even beyond the product that I mentioned, but even like, you know, helping them source um, companies um, beyond what you shared in the university ecosystem or helping their startups. I mean, you could look on the website and their portfolio page to see which of their startups are hiring and offering different candidates for them. So basically kind of offering help in different ways upfront, as well as making it very easy for them to vet you. So just writing a very compelling, very differentiated, um, but also very to the point and very actionable um, cold email. If, you know, you are going the cold 
cold email route. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I would recommend um, those three things on breaking into a venture. All incredible advice. So my next question then is you did that successfully. Why did you leave? Tell us about Zagino. What is Zagino? What are you doing there? And, you know, why did you decide to move from that venture hat, let's say, over to the operations side? Yeah, totally. So Zagino, we're basically a B2B procurement marketplace for the life sciences, so like an Amazon for the life sciences, where um, lab managers, researchers, um, biotech startups, pharma companies, et cetera, go to more easily and more seamlessly procure their lab equipment, materials, and supplies. Um, so I do growth marketing here. Our growth marketing team actually now it's three people, but when I joined, it was just one person before myself and obviously two with my so doing a combination of content marketing, product marketing, partnerships, and sales support, um, as well as some design stuff as well and social media. So it's very um, cross-functional, which I really love and have been learning a lot. Um, so I think a couple different reasons why I left. I think one is that I realized with VC, and um, especially as an associate, obviously not a general partner just yet, or you know, definitely didn't found my own fund. Um, my KPIs were very centered around the number of founders I was talking to, the number of founders I was emailing, getting in front of, the number of investors I was networking with, which is all really important and really incredible stuff, but um, also stuff that's pretty much 100% in my control. I just need to kind of show up and do the thing. And as someone who's pretty execution oriented, it was, um, you know, never a huge challenge for me. I didn't feel like I was learning a lot in the way of, you know, learning how to execute, at least in that respect. And so really wanted to do something that was a little bit more outcome rather than output oriented. So now with growth marketing, a lot of my KPIs mean certainly I still need to be, you know, responsive to emails and Slack messages and all of that stuff. But it's much more about the leads that I bring in and I could send a million emails, but if none of them convert to any type of leads, like nobody kind of cares. Um, but then if I just send four emails, let's say not literally emails, but that sort of frame of mind, if you will, to draw the analogy to VC, um, but all four of them or even two of them convert into very promising leads. That's much better. And so basically this sort of like quality over quantity in terms of um, my work itself. And then also just sort of working, not just hard, but also working smart and working creatively and even like relinquishing some level of control. I think I've always been very control oriented just as a pretty execution oriented person, love kind of being able to have full control over my work product from front to um, finish. Um, the second thing is that, you know, people always say, being an operator really helps you to become a better investor. The jury is still out on that. I'm sure we've all come across counterfactuals um, to that, you know, really great, um, you know, investors who've never operated as well as really bad investors who have operated. Um, but I think what it definitively does do um, is basically create more credibility and create more trust um, with the founders that you're talking to. Um, you know, if some random person said XYZ and then Bill Gates also said XYZ, you'd probably trust XYZ a lot more from Bill Gates than from the random person. And so that was sort of the second thing I think the third thing and growth in particular, I realized that as an investor, most of what I was helping founders with was growth of some kind, whether it's growth in their investor base or growth in their team, or obviously, of course, growth in their customer or partnerships ecosystem. And so felt like the sort of growth muscle would be super valuable and a big tangible value add to founders, regardless if, it, if I ended up going back to VC or just sort of like a mentor or advisor to startups, just an angel investor, um, or even joined, you know, an even earlier stage startup down the line. And so to felt, felt like that. That kind of growth muscle is super important. Um, I think the fourth thing is that I realized that with VC, relationship building is super important, but it's a very different kind of relationship building where 
you're mostly building it externally. You're meeting up with people every, you know, three months, those quarterly catch-ups or even like the more aggressive bi-monthly ones, but still it's definitely not every single day or, you know, multiple times a day. And when you're catching up, it's mostly to share information, deal flows, sort of what you're seeing, what you're learning, which is great um, as well, but it's relatively easy to kind of build strong relationships and you're meeting people just for 30 minutes at a time spread out over, you know, a year or several months. Um, but it's much harder to work with people or at least a very different muscle to work with people and not just share information, but be collectively responsible for a deliverable um, and sort of align incentives when obviously we all want the company to succeed, but every department has their own perspective, their own priorities, their own moving pieces, projects, stressors, et cetera. And so basically learning how to work cross-functionally and being collectively accountable and responsible for different key deliverables that actually drive a company forward or obviously have not done well, hold the company back. And so really wanted to learn how to work more internally and build those kind of internal relationships. And so that was the um, another thing. I think the final thing is basically, I feel like with VC, it was a little bit hard sometimes for me to find fulfillment because the um, fund I was at was just so broad, which I loved in terms of being able to have that kind of exposure to enterprise and healthcare and also consumer and hardware. But it was a little bit hard to be mission aligned when the mission itself was just sort of everything. Um, and I think there's obviously, you know, a big space for funds that do that, including SOMA, which is incredible. But just personally, for me, it was a little bit hard to get mission aligned when the mission was just so um, broad. Um, and so now kind of being more product focused, or at least more sector focused, we are, um, you know, supporting scientists and accelerating life sciences innovation. And so being able to have something that's a little bit more tangible, that's not the universe of everything, but it's something specific has been really helpful just to be able to further motivate myself too, and sort of find um, greater happiness and greater meaning in the work that I do. That makes a lot of sense. And can't wait to see um, everything that's to come. Thank you. So in September, you put out an amazing article. One of your many pieces of advice in that article is don't worry about disappointing other people. Do you have anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, I think what's been really interesting. So um, went to Harvard and my little brother actually is starting at Harvard um, next year. So I've been thinking a lot about this for him as well and putting together like a guide of what people, including myself, wish I knew um, earlier on in life, specifically during college. And I think when I was at Harvard, um, you know, obviously super fortunate to have gone there and had the opportunity to do so. But I think what I realized is that in the theoretical model, you would think that people who went to Harvard or otherwise, you know, VC insert your sort of prestigious um, industry institution theoretically can take more risk because they have this incredible backstop even if they take a risk it doesn't pan out as well as they would like um, they can still say like you know I went to Harvard so I am this sort of baseline level of competent and smart and sort of can get my foot in the door in alternative avenues should this particular risk not pan out um, but I think what ends up happening is that people get addicted to de-risking themselves it's less of like oh cool now I got the Harvard degree let me go take a risk um, and sort of, you know, do something more meaningful with it, but rather um, people, including myself for some time, so certainly guilty of it as well and very human and understandable. But I think what ends up happening in mass is that people think, okay, cool. I got the Harvard degree. What's the next step? Like what's the next step in the ladder that I need to climb onto? Oh, is it banking? Is it private equity? Is it business school? Obviously, if you genuinely love banking and private equity and business school, you should certainly follow your heart and do all those things, but and um, passion um, for those fields. And they frequently do it because they 
they feel like that is what they should do, what their peers are telling them to do, what their parents or professors or society or mentors are telling them to do. Um, and so I think what's really helpful is basically pulling myself out of that sort of de-risking loop and thinking much more about, you know, where can I actually create the biggest impact um, and where, um, you know, am I most fulfilled and where do I get the most energy from? That's sort of what I would um, recommend um, along that point. Yeah, I think my mother is still unhappy that I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but that's for another conversation. But lastly, Jessica, what advice would you share with maybe young people, people who are just exploring entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I think um, what I would do is basically start at the finish line. So when you're entering a new role, um, a lot of times people are upset because the role that they take on is not as they expected, or maybe not even upset as the right word, but they're surprised or like, you know, obviously not everything meets our wildest dreams and we all love to dream. Um, but I think what's really helpful is to make sure you get something out of every single thing. Um, so basically write out your resume before you start, um, obviously not like in an official way where you send it off to people, but just for yourself to basically be able to be really specific and really intentional um, around what it is you hope to learn and what it is you hope to achieve. And so I think kind of being able to enter every single new opportunity with that type of intention is really helpful. I think the other thing I'd say is basically find an opportunity to learn in everything. So um, just to give an example, basically, um, obviously, we all inevitably end up spending a lot of time scrolling through Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, etc. Um, and obviously, you can follow certain people to make your feed a little bit more curated and a little bit more constructive. Um, but I think something else that's really helpful is instead of just making that all inevitable waste of time, what I do is I'll even just sort of take a minute to analyze an Instagram ad and sort of see how obviously not like actually sending them feedback or something strange like that, but um, just sort of internally in my head or maybe writing down notes sometimes if I, I think it's particularly innovative of like how this particular ad could be improved and what I could learn from even just analyzing this LinkedIn banner ad or this Instagram ad or, um, you know, what, some, some, what somebody said on Twitter or like a particular account or brand's presence on Twitter or well, like how you can sort of take a learning mindset to everything. And I think entrepreneurship and tech and innovation is a sort of endless curiosity as, as well as the ability to draw sort of non-obvious connections. That's sort of where creativity really comes from versus these sort of blind eureka moments that can happen, but certainly aren't repeatable. And so basically exercising this creativity and learning analytical, innovative, creative muscle is really helpful and being able to do that in everything that is just seemingly mundane in your life, um, but basically being able to bring that kind of excitement and energy and innovation to it is really helpful. Amazing advice. Like I said, it's it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. This was a lot of fun to do this. Thank you so much, Jessica, and looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that was Jessica Lee. Quite honestly, I don't know whether she's a real person or a robot. Just a fantastic record of accomplishment. Check out her LinkedIn profile, you won't believe what you see. And no doubt, this is only the very beginning. Thanks again for doing this, Jessica. Thanks again for listening to The New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone. You can always find us at thenewyorkstartup.com and follow us on Twitter at TheNYStartup. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Looking forward to catching you on the next episode.